Good morning again. I'm so excited to be with everyone this morning, and we are here again today talking about worship. And uh, I bet you didn't know that we could sing uh, in Spanish, right? Well, maybe Jeremy can sing in Spanish. Uh, I can't. But talking about our diversity, and that's what we'll be dealing with this morning as we think about worship and as we think about our lives, all of our life is marching toward the end time where we will stand before a Heavenly Father. And the picture that we're going to see this morning is before the throne of grace, a multitude that no one can count from every people, every race, every language, every land, is going to be worshiping God forever. Uh, so don't get used to our little comfortable existence where everyone around us might be just like us. Uh, you know, sometimes we get frustrated when, you know, someone won't learn our language. You know, think about it. They're just as frustrated when we don't know their language. Uh, so what I, we're, we're going to be looking at this morning is hopefully getting in on God's program. And God's program is that every nation, every tongue, every language, every race would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And those were alarming statistics this morning. Less than 5% of children around the world have heard about Jesus. And as we have been looking these last five weeks at worship, we began with Nehemiah 12 as we realized that we are not just individuals worshiping together. We are a family, the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ worshiping together as community, and we're here for one another. Yes, we can worship alone in the boat on Toledo Bend as we're fishing, but we were designed to worship together as well as a community. We look in Revelation 19 the next week at everything in heaven is praising God for, and everyone in heaven, praising God for who he is and his greatness and his glory. And we need to come to him and empty ourselves. And we need to understand and realize that we need to get over ourselves. Because really everything in life revolves around us. What we want, what we like. I told a story this morning in Sunday school about a rabbi that I heard speak and talked about that much of our love is fish love. And if you want to know what that means, ask me after, mess, after, after service, and I'll, and I'll tell you about it. But much of our, our life and what we love revolves around what others can do for us. Humility. Then, the next week, we were in John chapter 4, and we listened in on a dialogue between Jesus Christ and the woman at the well. And we saw how, over and over again, she tried to... Uh, to to not tell the truth to Jesus. Uh, he talked about uh, going and getting her husband. And she didn't say that she didn't have a, uh, that she wasn't married at the time. She just says, I don't have a husband. And she talked, she kept trying to shift the, 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 the conversation over to things that weren't about her. And so we talked about our honesty in our worship, that we need to be honest with God. We also need to be honest with one another as we worship. And then in Psalm 19, we looked at clarity. The Word of God needs to be the foundation of our worship. Everything we do, it's not how we feel. And we talked this morning about, uh, about the love of God. Did you realize that a lot of people have skewed understandings of the love of God? Some people say, well, God is love, and so therefore God would never, never send anyone to hell. 
And what that means is I can do whatever I want to do. God will just love me and accept, accept me just like I am. He accepts us just like we are, but we have to come to Jesus and realize that the way we are is nasty and sticky and sinful. And the only way for God to accept us just as we are is to come to Jesus and accept him as he is. And how do we know that? Based on the truth. How do we know who Jesus is? Because God told us and God revealed to us in nature his greatness and his glory, but also he has revealed to us specifically in his word what he wants us to know about him. And then this morning we're going to be back in the book of Revelation as we look at diversity. And as we said, everything is marching toward that time when all the earth will bow their knee to Jesus Christ. But this morning we're going to be looking, this morning if, if you have your notes, and if you're taking notes this morning, the biblical truth is this, and it's all throughout Scripture, is that corporate worship reflects the unity and corporate worship reflects the diversity of heaven. Think about it. We are worshiping here today in Lake Charles at 1056. And everyone around the world on either side of the dateline who follow Jesus are worshiping him in every conceivable language. Different people groups, different races, geographically separated. And you know what? We're in on the same worship. It's not just us here in America, in South Louisiana, praising and worshiping him, and we're doing this on our own. If we stop and think about it, this is a global experience. Every believer around the world who worships together corporately, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And what unifies us is what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross for us, and we are in the same family. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, limber up your fingers because we're going to be letting our fingers do the walking this morning. We're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture, but we're going to begin in Revelation chapter 7 and verses 9 through verse 17. Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse number 9. And what I want us to, to look at is the worship that's taking place in heaven. And I want us to see the participants of those who are worshiping in heaven. Verse 9, after these things, John says, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders, and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen! Blessing, and glory, and wisdom, thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, <clears throat> saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. 
So he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Neither shall they hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to the living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tears from their Eyes. And what I want us to see here is the diversity in the praise. He says there's a multitude that no one can count. They're from all, every nation, all peoples, every people group with different languages. And there is the diversity. But what we see in the unity is they're all singing the same song. And they're all wearing the same thing. White robes, which we're going to look at, indicate they're being covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So they're all there from as much diversity as you can imagine. Imagine polar opposites, every extreme you can imagine, and they're together, unified by the blood of Jesus Christ and singing the same song and glorifying God. And what's amazing is they're understanding each other. God is going to allow that to happen. So what we're seeing is we're seeing unity in diversity. Unity in diversity. And what we see here as we, we look at this is we're seeing that we are all, we've all been purchased to praise Him. We've been bought by the blood of the Lamb and we're all purchased to praise Him. That's why God loves us That's why Jesus died for us, because God wants ultimate glory to come to himself. And we we looked at that a few weeks ago, and that God is a self-centered God. And it's not negative. What it means is everything in the universe centers around God. Because what else would God be centered around other than himself? Because he is supreme. And everything that God does... And everything that God has done is so that everyone, every nation, every being, every language, the rocks, the, the angels, even Satan himself would have to say, God is a great God. And God deserves glory and God deserves praise. So we see in verse 9, after these things, well, what, is, what, are, the, what are the these things that John says is after? Well, in order for us to see that, we have to look at what went before after this. And that is Revelation 7, verses 1 through 8. The context we see in verses 3 and 4. Let's look at Revelation 7, 3. And what we see there in Revelation 7, 3 and 4, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. What I want us to see is the connection. So what we have here, uh, Revelation is a, is a difficult book for us to really unpack and understand every, everything. There's a lot of different thinking about the book of Revelation. Is the 144,000 a literal number of people, or is it... We don't know. I think it's a literal number, 
But nevertheless, what, we, what I want us to see is there is a direct correlation between God's people, the Jews, and the multitudes that we see praising God in heaven. And what we're going to look at this morning when we allow our fingers to do the walking is this is not just something we see in Revelation with the multitude. It's something we've seen all the way back to the book of Genesis. I want to see the, the connection that the multitude that is beyond any number is something that started in Genesis. And kind of like, I'd like to, I like to look at, or what I, what I really picture is Revelation and Genesis being bookends. Revelation 7 being one end of, one side of the bookend, and Genesis was the other bookend. So what I want to do is turn to Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 1. Genesis 12 and verse number 1 through 3. And we see how the very, very beginning, what we see taking place. And one thing that took place in Genesis 11, if you go back there and look at context, the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel transpired or took place in Genesis 11. And so what we have is people separated by language and distance. And Genesis 12 comes in, and the Lord had said to Abram, verse 1 of Genesis 12, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And here is the promise. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. Excuse me. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what I want us to do is see the promise that God made. See the promise that God made that the multitude beyond number in Revelation chapter 7 that are before the throne of God, that are more numerous than anybody could number, all praising God and Jesus were part of the promise given to Abram in the book of Genesis. Let's look at Genesis 13, go over a chapter, Genesis 13, 16, and it is said again, verse 16, I, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. And who could number the dust? It's a way of saying it's innumerable. So that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. The idea is you can't. So your descendants will be more than anyone could number. So that's to Abraham. Again to Abraham, reiterated in Genesis 15. Let's turn over again a few more chapters. A couple of chapters to Genesis 15, 4 and 5, again to Abram. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir. Talking about Ishmael, Isaac. He says, And behold, the word of the Lord, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, another object lesson. Obviously, this was in the evening. He says, look now toward heaven 
and count the stars. If you are able to number them, and God said to him, so shall your descendants be. What is God saying to Abram again? You're going to be a great people. You're going to be the father of of a great nation. And your descendants are going to be innumerable. Let's go to 17, Genesis 17. Verses 3 and 6. Then Abram, then, then Abram fell on his face, and God talked to him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. You see the connection yet? Over and over and over again, God's saying, I'm going to bless you with a whole bunch of people. And kings will come from your lineage, from your descendants. Let's go to Genesis 22. 22, to Abraham. 22, 17 and 18. Genesis 22, 17 and 18. Blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, what does he say? What does he reiterate again to Abraham? In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Again to Abraham, is it almost like God is trying to make a point? Abraham, you follow me, you obey me, and I'm going to bless you, but through you and your descendants, I'm going to bless the entire world. Let's go on. Genesis 26, 4. Abraham had a son, Isaac. Now this time, it's to Isaac that God is speaking. Genesis 26 and verse number 4. To Isaac, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. We've heard that before. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed shall all the nations of the earth, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So he's blessing Isaac so that ultimately all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Let's turn to Genesis 28. Now, Genesis 28, verse 14, Isaac had a son, this time to Jacob, also, uh, excuse me, 28, 14, and also your descendants shall be as a dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you and in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Same thing, same message. And what's interesting is that this time Jacob was single. He was looking for a wife. Now, that's good news to a young man who's looking for a wife. God said, you're going to have kids. And as a matter of fact, you're going to have a bunch of them. And they are going to have a bunch of kids. And you are going to replenish. You Look at, look at chapter 35, verse, uh, excuse me, uh, 
Chapter 35, verse 11. Genesis 35, 11. Also to Jacob. Genesis 35, 11. Also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you. And kings shall come from your body. Let's go now to Genesis 49. Genesis 49, verses 8 through 10. Genesis 49, 8 through 10. Here's where God is providing the blessings. There are blessings are being given to the, to, to, the, to the sons. And so all these tribes of Israel are receiving their own blessings. Now to Judah, verse 8, 49, 8. To Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. And Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, and he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of his people. And it's interesting, when we get to Revelation 5, and to how is Jesus referred to? He is referred as the lion of the tribe of Judah. All the way back from Genesis. He's saying, Judah, from from your lineage will come Jesus. And Jesus is referred in Revelation 5 as as the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's interesting when you get to Revelation that Judah is mentioned first. And so... Here we have God promising to bless his people so that his glory, his salvation, and his blessing would remain known among the nations of the earth. Is it only in Genesis? Not. Let's go now to Isaiah. Isaiah 49. This plan of God to bless all the nations through his people that we see again said in Revelation chapter 7. Verses 3 and 4, and Revelation, uh, the whole chapter 7 of Revelation, this is, not a, this is not a first thing. Isaiah 49, 6. Indeed, he says, Is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will also give you as a... What is he saying to, to Israel? I will give you as a light to whom? Come on, speak to me. To the Gentiles. That means everyone who's not a Jew. So why did God bless the Jews? To bless the Gentiles. But all too often, Israel thought, God, we are so special. Wow, we are special. You love us. And so therefore, we look down our noses on everybody else. But God said over and over and over again, Israel, I'm blessing you so that my blessing wouldn't stop with you. I'm blessing you so that you could bless the rest of the world with the, with the truth of who I am. And, and we, we fall prey to that too. We think that God blessing us is because of us. God doesn't bless us because of us. God blesses us 
so that his blessing wouldn't stop through us, but that we would be a conduit. Just like Abram. Abraham was that conduit of God's blessing so that God, because he loved the Jews, the Jews could then share the truth of God to everyone else in the world, and so the whole world could march toward Revelation 7 and stand as a multitude that nobody could number from every people, every language, and worship and praise him. So the Jews are connected to the multitude in Revelation. So let's go on. As we go, uh, let's continue on with verse 6. He says, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. You catch that? The Jews were meant to be the conduit through which God's truth could be, could be proclaimed to the rest of the earth. Again, Isaiah 49, 10. Isaiah 49, 10. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. Sound familiar? This is what we see taking place at the, in the throne room of God in Genesis, excuse me, in Revelation chapter 7. Neither heat nor sun shall strike them, for he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water, he will guide them. And so we see a, a, a quote in Revelation 7, here from Isaiah. Those who were tortured and killed for their faith, that the elder said, these are the ones who have died, they've dipped their robes in the blood of the Lamb, and they're here because of the, based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Lamb is going to be their shepherd. He will protect them. He will give them living water. Revelation 22, rivers of living water. That's Jesus. Those flow from the, from the, from the central part of, of heaven. Also, Isaiah 66, verses 18 and 19. We're almost done with our whirlwind tour of the Old Testament. Genesis, excuse me, Isaiah 66, 18 and 19. <clears throat> Isaiah 66, 18. For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall be that I will gather all nations and tongues. Sound familiar? And they shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them that those among them who escape I will send to the nations, to Tarshish and Pool and Lod, who draw the bow and Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands afar off who have not heard my fame nor seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. So why does God disperse his people around because of persecution? Why did God spread the early Christians in the first century because of persecution? Because when we're not persecuted, we tend to kind of clump together. We kind of want to stay in the salt shaker. But what God does is send some persecution and he shakes us out all over the world. Why? Well, he says it here. For those who have not heard my fame nor seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. He dispersed the Jews so the Gentiles all around the world could hear about God. He has us go to foreign lands. He has, he has Gideons all around the world so, God, so people can hear about God's love for them. Missionaries are sent all around the world so that God, so the world can hear about the love of 
God. God is in the business of blessing His people so that they could in turn go out and bring blessing and salvation to all the nations around them. But see, the Old Testament Jews missed out on this. They thought His blessing was for them and was to remain with them. And subsequently, they engaged in self-centered worship. This is just for me. This is just for us. And we don't need no Gentiles around us to mess up this thing. And so it's really just about us. And we can sometimes fall prey to that same type of thinking. But what we see here is that as we see the promises of God, we see the price that Christ has paid. Christ paid a price so we could see what takes place in in Revelation 7. All these multitudes praising. It's not because of these multitudes are worthy. It's because of the price Jesus paid for us. Repentance, so repentance and forgiven could be, forgiveness could be preached to all the nations. Look at Luke 24. Luke 24, verses 47 to 49. And see what is being taught here in the beginning of the New Testament. Luke 24, beginning with verse 47. He says, And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to whom? All nations. Jesus Christ paid the price so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be part of the body of Christ. And he says, now our responsibility is to take that message and to go present it to all the world. Should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And so what we see in Acts, we see the Holy Spirit being given the power to proclaim the message of the gospel. And then his people take the message of the gospel all around the world. So when we see Jesus Christ paying the price, what we see as part of that is Jesus shed his blood for everyone. Jesus shed his blood for every race. Every race, every race of people. And as we think about, we are still part of a segregated country. Whether we like to believe it or not, where we we don't think it is or whatever, we tend to segregate ourselves. We tend to think about other individuals, other races. Sometimes we lump them together. We need to understand that ultimately those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior we're going to be worshiping, we'll be worshiping together forever. So God's plan was so that every race would come to know Jesus as their Savior. He also shed his blood for every people. For every people. You say, well, Pastor, what does that mean? I thought we just mentioned race. Well, peoples are different from race. There are people groups all around the world. People who are either geographically or ideologically are clumped into a people group. It might be a group of, of uh, 4,000 people in a tribe up on a mountain somewhere that nobody else can get to. That's considered a people group. And we're told that there are roughly 16,000 differentiated people groups in the world. 16,000 people groups in the world. Jesus died for every single one of them. 
And what we're told, now this, this number may or may not be accurate right now. i got my, my figures. They, might, they may be a little old. But what we're told is there are now roughly still around 6,500 people groups that are still unreached. These are groups of people in Burma, groups of people in Africa, in Mali. There are people groups in on the border there between China um, and India, uh, India and, and China and different places, these people groups. Sometimes it's because they are, they're, they're so, um, uh, they're, they're, the, the, the people are so uh, evil that nobody wants to go there. And so they're isolated as people groups. Sometimes they're isolated on top of a mountain that it might take days and weeks and risking your own life to get up to them. And so people don't go there. So there's roughly 6,500 people groups. Think about that. Over 6,000 people groups. And we're told this is roughly 2 to 3 billion people that have not been reached yet, that don't know, that the whole population of that people group have never even heard the name of Jesus. We need to be on mission. But also... Jesus Christ shed his blood for every language. We, we see that uh, here back in Revelation. Great multitude, all nations. Verse 9 of Revelation 7, all nations, all tribes, all peoples, and tongues, all languages. Jesus died for people of all language, language groups, and he died for them. And also what we're told, there are about 7,000 different languages around the world today. And this is an also an astonishing number. We're told that roughly, and there again, this may be a little different now because the Bible is being translated in a number of different languages, even as we are here this morning. Roughly around 2,286 languages still have no Bible. So those are people groups, 6,500 people groups, and nearly and on over 2,000 languages that still do not have God's Word. Some may be orally, but do not have God's Word that they can put in their hands. Jesus died for all of these. So that in Revelation 7, we see people of all nations, all tribes, all people groups, and all languages worshiping Him. So we've been purchased to praise Him. We've also been sanctified to serve Him. We've been sanctified to serve him. Look at verse 9. What are they wearing? White robes. And that speaks to their having now righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are sanctified to serve him. Because what happens for eternity? People are praising him for eternity. And through Jesus, look at verse 10, crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Through Jesus Christ, we have victory. Salvation, another word for victory here, salvation belongs to God and His Son. Very quickly, Genesis 49, 11. Let's go back there very, very quickly to kind of give a, a little bit of an understanding of what we're seeing here. Genesis 49, 11. Genesis 49, 11. 
He talks about binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Talking future about the Messiah. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross of Calvary, shed his precious blood for you and for me. And isn't it amazing that when we think about making our white clothes white, what do we think about? Throw them in the washing machine, right? Well, you would not think of, to, to make, your, you make your clothes white, dip them in blood. Well, that's kind of paradoxical. But when we're talking about righteousness, righteousness only comes through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's a picture of us being washed clean through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on the cross of Calvary. And in, verse 19, in Revelation 19... Verses 12 and 13, Revelation 19, 12 and 13, is talking about his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Jesus Christ did all of this for you and for me. So we have his victory, but also we have a new vocation. We see that in verses 11 to 15. The angels stood around the throne. The elders fell on their faces before God. They worshipped. And it says that this took place, verse 15, serving him how, how long? Day and night forever. Think about that. We have got a new vocation. Our job is going to be praise and worship. You know, the praise and worship team thought, you know, they had, you know, the, the, the corner on the, on, the, on the praise job. We will all be praising and worshiping our Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus Christ forever and forever and forever. We've been purchased to praise Him. We, uh, we have been sanctified to serve Him. And then next what we see is we have been led to love Him. We see that in verses 16 and 17 of Revelation chapter 7. It says, They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. These are the ones who've been persecuted. These are the ones who died for their faith. He says, They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. Remember that was back in Isaiah. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and will lead them to fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We've been led to love him. And what we see here in verse 15, he who sits on the throne will, will dwell among them. We serve him day and night. He is our ever-present protector. Because to what is he referred? He's referred to as a shepherd. He was a lion of the tribe of Judah. He is a lamb that was slain. And it's kind of interesting, lambs aren't, are not normally shepherds. But Jesus, who was the suffering lamb, becomes the protect, protection-providing shepherd. And so we have his protection. Day and night, says verse uh, says that uh, they are before the throne of God, serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. And says that he, will sp- he spread his tent over them. And that's a reference back to Leviticus, the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles had two parts to it. One, it commemorated the people of Israel wandering around the desert. When they lived in the wilderness for those 40 years, they lived in tents. 
And so the Feast of Tabernacles that the Jews celebrate, there for seven days during that period, they leave their homes and they go live in booths or tabernacles or tents, if you will. And it talks about them wandering around the desert living in tents. And the Feast of Tabernacles was also right around the time of harvest. And so it was also a time where they praised God for, it was a celebration of the harvest. And so the Bible talks about them coming out during this Feast of Tabernacles and waving palm branches. This is what's going to be happening in heaven, a picture of what happens in heaven. And in verse 17, we see he's also our eternal provider. He's our eternal provider. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. See, it all, it's all revolves around our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. We are not blessed for our benefit. We are blessed so that we could then share. We talked about sharing earlier. Sharing the blessings of God with those who don't know Jesus Christ and so that they too, in turn, can take part in the book of Revelation in this worship around the throne. He is our eternal provider. So as we end this, what's the bottom line? Well, I think the bottom line is this. We need to get in on a global perspective of worship. Realize we're not alone. We're not God's special people just here. God has his children, his people, all over the world, every race, every language, every people group, and we're going to praise and worship him forever and ever and ever and ever. When we worship, we join believers all around the world. It's a global picture, not just us. And then secondly, how does this 6,500-some-odd people groups still have not been reached 2,286 languages who still do not have God's word in their language. I think that should spur us to have some compassion on them. So the next bottom line is we need to get on with the global mission that God has called us to. And that starts here. What did he say in Luke? Remember, it starts in Jerusalem. starts in Lake Charles. But as we go out in our, in our daily routine, we share the gospel. As we send out missionaries, we send the gospel. And God may be calling someone here as a missionary, somewhere. Let's get on with that global mission. This morning, as we have the opportunity to, to give our tithes and our offerings, that is to further the work of God, starting here, going out from here. But also, as we have the opportunity, as you take those Gideon's International Envelopes. And if God moves you to provide an offering to the Gideon's ministry, that also will be providing God's Word. Because what is it that changes men and women and boys and girls? It's God. And it's the Word of God that's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce even through the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That is what God has promised that will not return to him void without accomplishing his purpose that he intended it to have. So let's get on with it. Let's continue being who God wants us to be, sharing his word, and getting this global mission around the world. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we've come together and as we we think about 
what you have provided for us, your love, your mercy, and your grace. And you've blessed us. And, and since we, are, we have been grafted into the nation of Israel, we know, Lord God, that, that what you told us in Genesis about blessing Abraham and blessing Isaac and blessing Jacob, we're part of that blessing. Father, please let us not allow that blessing to stop with us, but that we would in turn share that blessing with the rest of the world so that we could all stand before your throne of grace one day and say, Amen, blessing and glory and honor and praise be to the Lamb, where we will praise you forever and forever. Thank you, Father. Help us to be a blessing to those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.